You might want to open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. And put your marker there. We may turn away from it, but we'll always be coming back to 1 Kings chapter 19. Well, what a joy to see the good audience and uh, see various places you've come from. Uh, friends from the Birmingham Trustful area and uh, we have Albertville folks. Mike Pack is here and uh, that's somebody a lot of us have been praying for. And uh, Decatur, I better watch out here. and I'm going to miss some of these places. And Hartzell. <laughs> Numbers from Hartzell and we're glad of that. But whoever you are, wherever you come from, we're glad you're here and appreciate your, uh, your interest and your encouragement to us tonight. Thank you very much for coming. We're talking about discouragement, overcoming discouragement tonight. Don't think I have to uh, define any terms. Uh, I think we all know what discouragement is. All of us have experienced it. It's a football player who fumbles a ball on the one-yard line when a touchdown would have won the game. That's discouragement. Or I think of a student who has studied long and hard for an exam, only to fail the exam. Or a man who has worked so hard on his job, trying to succeed on it, only to get fired. Maybe even more than anything else, outside of spiritual realms. Person's health is declining. He has very little appetite, losing weight, doesn't know what's wrong. Doctors are searching for what may be the problem. It gets awfully discouraging. In spiritual realms, it may be disappointment in the falling away of some person that we just had so much confidence in. Or it may be some sin in my own life that I thought maybe I'd conquered and then I've fallen again. It's discouraging. Or to see numbers where you worship begin to decline and you don't see much prospect for much growth. So many things can create discouragement for us. But the Bible tells us of a man who became discouraged. And we're talking about Elijah. Let's turn and read 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to start with verse 8. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave. And spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And that's Elijah. Discouraged. And this is Elijah that God took care of all through the famine that had taken place. This is Elijah that will be taken into heaven without dying. 
This is Elijah that will appear with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he's discouraged. Are you disappointed? I'm not. I've been there too many times. I'm not, dis I'm, I'm not disappointed in him. And do you think the Lord has uh, practically forsaken him? Well, no, the Lord hasn't forsaken him. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. I think oftentimes we need to read Hebrews chapter 4. I want to start with verse 14. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was on all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a high priest. He understands. He knows what we go through. I suspect he may have been discouraged himself sometimes because that's not sin. And he is there at the right hand of God, always making intercession for us. Whether it's discouragement, whether it's actual sin, let's not get the idea that the Lord's just cut us off. I'm afraid some people have the idea that the Lord's just waiting for somebody to step out, out of line so he can get them. That's not the God we serve. We serve a God who will help to bring us back into line, who will encourage us when we're discouraged, who will chasten us, who will help us to be faithful, and who wants us to be with him eternally. That's the God that we serve. And we don't, don't want to think of our God as one who's just ready to cut us off uh, at any moment. And let me leave Elijah just for a moment. Peter. Denied the Lord three times. Jesus turned and looked at Peter. I've often wondered what that look was. Had Jesus turned away from Peter? Totally cut him off? The first apostle Jesus appeared to after his resurrection was Peter. The Lord loves us. The Lord cares for us. And here's Elijah. And no, the Lord hadn't cut him off. We know why he's at Horeb. He's discouraged. And so we're studying Elijah overcoming discouragement. It's interesting that his discouragement came right after his greatest triumph. Most of us would remember the contest on Mount Carmel where Elijah suggested to Ahab, you bring your prophets of Baal, and I'll be the prophet of Jehovah. And the prophets of Baal can put an animal on their altar, and I'll put an animal on God's altar, and we'll let them cry for prayer for fire to come down, and whichever God sends the fire, then that will be the true God. And that was agreed on. Prophets of Baal put their animal on there, Began to pray to Baal. Nothing happened. About noontime, Elijah begins to chide them. 
Go on, cry aloud. He's God. Uh, maybe he's uh, on a trip. Maybe he's pursuing. Maybe he's reading. Maybe he's asleep. You need to wake him up. And the Bible says they cried and cut themselves to the blood gush, gushed out, trying to get Baal to send down fire on that offering. Time of the evening sacrifice. Elijah built up the altar of the Lord, put an animal on it, pour barrel, four barrels of water on it, four more barrels, four more barrels. And Elijah prayed to the Father, and down came fire, consumed the offering, the altar, the lapped up over water, and people cried, Jehovah is God, Jehovah is God. And the prophets of Baal were taken down to the brook and put to death. Can you imagine the joy that would have been Elijah's on that moment when he knows the people now have cried, Jehovah is God. And the prophets of Baal, that terrible influence that existed in that nation, the prophets of Baal have been put to death. Oh, what a, what a great moment for Elijah. What a great moment for Israel. And here we are the very next day. And Elijah's discouraged. We sometimes use the expression, lower than a snake. Well, that's Elijah. As discouraged as could be. Well, that raises the question, why is he discouraged? Well, the simple reason is, everybody has not reacted as they should have reacted to what took place. Look at chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Had Elijah thought that somehow maybe what had taken place would be the real turnaround of the whole nation? After all the people had cried, Jehovah's God, the prophets of Baal are dead, rain has come. This may be the turnaround of the whole nation. Maybe even Ahab and Jezebel. Well, if that's what he thought. That's not what was going to happen. And Jezebel sends word to him. I'm going to have you dead by this time tomorrow. You know, a lot of times we anticipate more than what we should. And I think that's exactly what Elijah has done on this occasion. And it set him up for this tremendous disappointment that has come. And verse 4. I'm not sure of the meaning, but let me ask you this. Read verse 4 with me. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Is he saying, My fathers never were able to get Israel turned around, and I can't do it either. I'm no better than my fathers. Just go ahead and take my life. I'm no better than my fathers. I don't know whether that's the meaning or not, but it may well be the meaning of this passage. And when everything turns sour, he gets discouraged and even asked to die. Well, it's interesting what he did. 
What did he do with this discouragement? Well, let's first of all talk, talk about what he did not do. He didn't lose his faith. He didn't turn away from God. And that's what a lot of people do when they get discouraged and something backfires on them. They just kind of blame God and turn loose of God. That's not what Elijah did. I'll tell you something else he didn't do. He didn't turn to some wicked, evil activity to somehow bring him out of this, uh, these troubles that he had. No, he didn't do that. That's not Elijah. What did he do? He went to Horeb, to the mountain of God, to Sinai. Are we aware that those three terms apply to the same place? Horeb, mountain of God, Sinai. Here's the very place where God had spoken the Ten Commandments in the hearing of the people. Here's where Moses had communed with God. Here's where he had received the law. What better place to go to than to Horeb when you're discouraged and need a talk with God. And so he flees to Horeb. May I pause to say all of us need our Horeb. All of us need our place where we can commune with God, where we pray to God. And it's, of course, you can pray anywhere. Don't misunderstand. You can pray anywhere. But it's a wonderful thing to have a place of prayer where you go to when you want to talk to God about some particular thing. And then if your Horeb is also a place where you let God talk to you, where you read the scriptures and where you pray and it's your spot, that's a wonderful thing. And here is Elijah going to Horeb where he can commune with God. What did he do there? What did he do there? He, pray, he prayed. He talked to God. There's no better thing you can do when you're discouraged than to talk to God. I want to go to another passage here. Go to Philippians chapter 4. I'm looking at verse 6. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's an expression in that passage that we tend to overlook. With thanksgiving. Don't overlook that. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Why is thanksgiving so important? Well, I don't know. But when I'm discouraged, it's not my first time to be discouraged. Or if I have some kind of troubles, going through some kind of crisis... It's not my first time to ever do that. But suppose 15 years ago, I went through a crisis. Who brought me through that? God did. Was I thankful? Did I thank Him? Then 10 years ago, I went through another crisis. Who brought me through that? God did. And if I'm the thankful person that I ought to be, 
thankful for what he did for me 15 years ago and what he did for me 10 years ago and what he did for me five years ago and now I'm discouraged and I'm, I'm burdened down. But I remember. And I thank God for all that he's done for me in the past. Does that not give me confidence that what he's done for me in the past, he can do for me now? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And here is Elijah has fled to Horeb and he's praying to God. Something else I like about him. He tells God exactly how he feels. Look again at verse 10. So he said... I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Now, that's not how it was. But that's how Elijah thought it was. And he simply opens up to God and talks to God and tells him exactly how he feels. And that's what all of us ought to do. God knows it before we tell him anyway. But that's what we all ought to do. Um, sometimes our problems turn out not to be quite as big as we thought they were. Just about any time we're discouraged, we see the things much darker than what they really are. Tell you what it reminds me of. We lived in Canada for seven years and my son Bruce mowed a cemetery up on the hill. One day he came down there on his bicycle and said, Dad, Dad, come up to the cemetery, the biggest snake I've ever seen. Well, I went up there with him with hole in the hand. It was a big snake, all right. No, it was a little snake. It had swallowed a frog. <laughs> I think sometimes our problems swallow frogs. And they get bigger in our eyes than what they really are. And in Elijah's case, I really think that's what's happened to him. Uh, it's not really as Elijah says it is, but that's what Elijah thinks it is. And that's what he talks to God about. And when we reach the point where we can truly just talk to God and say to him exactly how we feel and just pour out our hearts to him. That's when we pray our best. And again, you might as well open up. Because he knows anyway before you ever talk to him. So let's learn like Elijah. Let's find our whole rep. And let's pray to God. And let's not hold anything back. Let's just pour out our hearts to him and talk to him and tell him exactly how we feel. Well, that leads us to ask, what did God do in order to help Elijah overcome his discouragement? Well, the first thing he did, he gave him some picture of how God works. Look at verse 11, beginning. I'm back in 1 Kings 19. Verse 11. Then he said, go out and stand in the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. 
and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a still small voice. As you can imagine, there have been all kinds of interpretations of that. I'll tell you the one that makes the most sense to me. Is it possible that Elijah thought, why doesn't God, in some dramatic way, take care of all this problem? Here, Ahab and Jezebel, and they are fighting against God, and why doesn't God just send an earthquake and swallow them up like he did with Korah? Or maybe he was thinking, why not a fire? Just go out from the Lord and devour them like it did Nadab and Abihu. Why didn't he just send a tornado? Let it blow them off the earth. God doesn't always act like that. And then you heard his still small voice. Now, some people have taken that still small voice and made something of it they shouldn't have ever made of it. Don't make too much of that. Some people think God ought to be speaking to them in their ear in a little tiny voice. And Let me give you some alternate readings. This is the English Standard Version. The sound of a low whisper. That sounds a little different, doesn't it? sound of a low whisper. How about the New American Standard Version? A sound of a gentle blowing. Doesn't sound anything like a still small voice, does it? Sound of a gentle blowing. Is it possible? And I believe this is the idea, probably, of the passage. That God is telling Elijah, I don't always deal with things with an earthquake. I have in the past, but that's not the way I deal with things always. Or with a fire, or with the wind. Sometimes I deal with things in the most gentle kind of a way, imperceptible, almost impossible to even know that I'm doing anything. I saw a sign on a church building in, uh, in Hartzell back during the pandemic. The sign said, God is working when we can't see it. Wow, that is exactly right. God is working when we can't see it. And sometimes we can see God's working. But so often we can't see it. And I'm thinking of Habakkuk. Do you remember Habakkuk looked around at the nation of Judah and he saw violence, he saw injustice, he saw all these things. And I'm paraphrasing now. And he said, God, why don't you do something? God said, I am. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. And they'll be my tool. But Habakkuk couldn't see it. God was working in a very quiet way. Imperceptible. There's no way we have, can know what God is doing right now that we can't see. But he's doing. He's working. And he's doing it, what was that term? With a sound of a gentle blowing. And we'd be amazed if we knew what was going on right now in that quiet, imperceptible way in which God may work. And I see that as the 
likely meaning of the passage. The second thing God did for him, he gave him a job. He gave him something to do. Look on down at the 15th verse of chapter 19. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. He gave him something to do. When I get discouraged, probably the best thing that happens to me is the phone rings. And somebody says, so-and-so needs your help. Would you drive over there and maybe have a prayer with him? And I get in my car and I head over there and all of a sudden my focus is off of me. And my focus is on the person that I've gone to help. It doesn't matter how discouraged you are, how down in the dumps, how sorry you feel for yourself, let me assure you there is somebody out there that's worse off than you are, who needs your prayers, who needs your attention. Maybe uh, you could prepare a dish, take it over there, just to show your concern for them. Anything you can do. And when we do that, and we don't go over there and begin to pour out our troubles to them. That's not why we're there. We're there in order to help them. We're there to focus on their needs and not on our own needs. And if we can bring ourselves to get up, go find somebody that needs us and help them, that's one of the greatest ways that I know of to somehow overcome discouragement. But here's the next thing God did. He showed Elijah, you're not alone. Look at verse 18. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. 7,000. I want to tell you, that surprises me. And it's 7,000 in Israel. We're not talking about Judah. We're talking about Israel. Now we know about Obadiah who had hidden a hundred prophets in caves and had fed them during the famine. You remember Obadiah? We know about him. We know about Micaiah. You remember the prophet that Ahab hated and would tell Ahab that we know about him. But 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal? Elijah, you're not alone. Again, sometimes I think we overestimate, I don't know what term to use, or maybe underestimate, the really faithful people. Somebody just recently said, uh, what do you think's wrong with our young people? I thought, what are you talking about? Are you talking about these? <laughs> you talking about those back there? Are those the ones you're talking about? Let me just tell you right now, I know every generation loses some of their young people. I understand that. But 
There are just so many young people out there right now who have looked at the world and they've looked at serving the Lord and they have seen a major gulf between the two and they have made their minds up, I'm going to serve the Lord. And there aren't just one or two of them. Some of them are in this audience. Some of them worship probably where you worship if you don't worship here. Good, faithful young people. What's wrong with our young people? You know what's wrong with them? They've got their eyes focused over here when they need to be looking at the positive and seeing the good things over here. Then sometimes we get all discouraged because, well, um, there's some false rumor going around or, or some false teaching or whatever. Yeah, it happens. But I'm just trying to say, if we focus on all the bad, we will get discouraged. But there's 7,000 in Israel who've not bowed the knee to Baal. And it would be amazing if somehow God let us open our eyes and see how many good, faithful, diligent people there are who are serving the Lord today, faithful as they can be. I don't know who all they are. God is the judge. He knows the hearts of people. But there is no question in my mind, I have brothers and sisters who are faithful to the Lord, and they're all over the world, and I'm thankful for them. We're not alone. Just remember that. You're not alone. Some of the most comforting calls and cards that I received when Charlotte died was from people who had lost their companions. Why? It said, you're not alone. We've been there. We know how it hurts. And it means so much just to know that you're not alone. What did Elijah do? He went to Horeb. He communed with the Lord, praying to him. He told him exactly how he felt. And then the Lord, in turn, showed him how he worked and lifted him out of that discouragement that Elijah was facing. Elijah, thank you for showing us how to overcome discouragement in our lives. What do you do when you get discouraged? You pray. Second, you open up to the Lord. Talk to Him about whatever it is that's bothering you. Trust Him. The same one that's brought you out of troubles in the past, trust Him to bring you out of your discouragement and the cause of it. Find something to do that will help you to come out of your discouragement and know you're not alone. And I'm going to add one more. Count your blessings. I asked for the song tonight. When upon thy billows your tempest tossed, when you're discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it may surprise you what the Lord has done. We need to lift our chins from the floor. Look at all the good things we have. Look at the God that we serve. Look at the good people around us and be thankful and over 
come, that discouragement that can hold us back from serving the Lord as we ought to serve the Lord. Well, I appreciate you listening and considering these things. And tomorrow night, I'm going to talk about overcoming fear. And the person we're going to choose on that one is Esther, who actually spoke her fears, but overcame them to become a wonderful savior of her people. We're going to sing the song that has been selected, I Am Resolved. We would rejoice to see somebody respond. We talked last night about Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, where the people were told, repent and be baptized. I think I've probably quoted that every service. Repent and be baptized. If you're in the audience, you need the Lord. You need the Lord. And you can have him. If you'll repent of your sins and come believing in him and being baptized, for the remission of your sins. He'll forgive you. He'll be yours. You need the Lord. Or if you have fallen back as one who has already obeyed the gospel, you need the Lord. We all need it to help us in all of our times of trouble. And the wonderful thing is when we're with the Lord and he's with us, we can always find that time of that help in our time of need as suggested in Hebrews chapter 4. If you're subject to the invitation, we invite you to come.